the Bible. Are you intimidated at the thought of reading such a complicated book? Do you find it daunting or delightful or both? Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. The Bible book club, where we read every word of this great book and then dig in and study it together. together. Celebrate, celebrate. Yes, that's right. This is a big day here on the Bible Book Club. It is our final episode of Genesis. But but not forever, just Genesis. Today, instead of the normal recap that I give you from just last episode, I'm going to cover a recap for you from the very beginning of the Bible Book Club. But in order to do that, we're going to go somewhere that you might not expect. We're going to go to the New Testament, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. So I hope this is going to be a Bible bender for you as we close out this season of Bible Book Club, because it certainly was for me. And let me set the scene for you right now. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke both list the genealogy of Jesus, which, as you know, from listening to Bible Book Club, Jesus comes from the line of Judah. In Matthew chapter one, it lists the genealogy of Jesus's father, Joseph. But in Luke, starting in chapter three, verse 23, it lists the genealogy of Mary, Jesus's mother. Now, you may have read these genealogies in the past, or you might have just glossed over them like most of us do when we encounter a genealogy. But now when you read them, because you are a Bible book club listener, you will understand why they're there and what they mean. This is a Bible bender for me and me. So these are the people you've met. You've come to love this story in Genesis. Each of the genealogies, they have similarities and they have differences, but both genealogies converge at the same point. They converge at the point of King David. This is the fulfillment of scripture, and I'm going to show you what I mean. Now, there is a chart that details this in excruciating detail, and I'm not going to go through that on the so podcast. if you get lost, if you're visual like me and you might get lost, just know, don't panic. We have a show note. It'll be in the show notes. So the chart details both of these genealogies. However, they're both very, very different genealogies. So I'm going to cover, I'm going to compare and Which contrast kind them for you. It's a clever trick. It is so clever. And the only, you you probably would never know it just reading them both until you put them side by side. So let me tell you but what I mean. But tell them why it's a clever trick, because really Jesus came from Mary, not Joseph. Jesus came from Mary, not Joseph. But both genealogies just illustrate that even though Joseph wasn't technically a genetically the father of Jesus, he's still a part of Israel and yes. he's a part of the Jews and both his mom and his dad, his adopted dad, are from the line of Judah. Judah. Both of them are. Yes. Now, the genealogy of Joseph is in Matthew. The genealogy of Mary, like I said, is in Luke. The genealogy of Joseph is in chronological order. So it starts with Abraham, the first patriarch, and then it goes all the way and ends with Joseph, Jesus's father. Contrast that with the genealogy of Mary. Instead of starting at the beginning with Abraham like Joseph's, it actually starts with Mary and then it goes backwards. Which should have been a hint. Right. Because it never does that in the Bible. No, it really doesn't. It never starts in the end and goes backwards, but it does. And then it traces all the way back earlier than Abraham, which is where Joseph's starts. It traces all the way back to Adam and ultimately to God. 
So in Mary's, remember God there at the beginning, just like we talked about in John when Susan showed us that from the beginning, God uh, created the earth and he was there in the beginning of John's gospel. Well, Adam, he's the first man. And then there's Seth, Adam's third son, who God blessed after Cain killed Abel. And then Noah, it goes into Noah and the flood. It goes into Shem, one of Noah's three sons, the one who had the pure heart. He covered his father, you'll remember, after the night of drinking and some kind of impropriety that happened. And then we get to the patriarchs. So both of them cover the patriarchs. So Joseph's covers Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. So does Mary's. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah are all covered in Mary's. Then the genealogies mirror each other all the way through King David. That's when they split because Joseph and Mary, they are both distant relatives of the line of King David. But Joseph's genealogy then continues through King Solomon, who is credited as wise, and he wrote the books of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. So it's interesting. Mary came from David's son, Nathan, not Solomon. That's where it's different. Because it it says, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. It is the son of Jesse, the son of Obed. So from there on, it's the same. Right. It'll make a lot more sense if you look at that chart, because I literally laid it out where everything is the same. And then you can see where it converges very easily right after Solomon. So all that to say, they are both royal blood from the line of Judah and ultimately pure Jewish descent. From the line of Judah all the way through the king, Mm -hmm. David, because it was also prophesied that Christ would come through the king of David. So that's funny that it's that, it's there that they split. They're both from the line of David. Yeah. Ultimately Judah too, but one from Solomon and one from his David's third son, Nathan. Mary was from Nathan. Right. And so the point here is this is why we study the Old Testament. There are references to it in the New Testament. It also proves the validity of the scriptures. If you've ever wondered if there are anything that contradicts itself in the Bible, there are not. Scholars have tried to find contradictions. There are no contradictions. There might be things that are confusing, and that's why we study this and try to study the culture like we're doing here at Bible Book Club. But it also shows us why we need Jesus, why you need Jesus, because when man tries to live life his way, things go wrong. We fall away. When we live under the authority of Jesus, life is just better. All right, I gave you my whole Bible bender for the entire book of Genesis, which really comes from the New Testament. But now let's get back to the very center of both Joseph and Mary's genealogies, our next to last patriarch, Jacob, in chapter 50. Before we go there, though, props to Luke because, and props to Mary, because, you know, Luke gave Mary the credit in a culture where, and everybody knew he was, because everybody knew these genealogies. And he was saying, hey, it is Yes, from the line of Judah through King David, but it was through Mary that the genealogies continued, which is why they went probably all the way back to Adam. And Luke was the one that called it out on that. So props to him. It's kind of hidden. I didn't know that. This is new to me. So gosh, it, it way to go, hidden. Heather. Yeah. And it's interesting. Luke actually was a probably a very progressive man for his time. He, he never even met Jesus. It is not Luke the disciple. Luke was a... Um, a physician and he was several generations later, but he had heard all of the things that were going on uh, about Jesus. And then he set out to interview people that were there. And then he wrote the gospel of Luke based on those interviews. Wait a minute. I thought Luke was an apostle. No, nope. 
the person who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he was a physician, and he interviewed people who actually had been there and saw it all happen. And he said, and it says that in the very beginning of Luke. Very cool. All right, chapter 50. Here's our setup. When we left chapter 49, Jacob had blessed his sons with prophetic words about the future of their tribes. Now, I want to point out, if I were a son, I would have followed that up with a million questions. And as there were 12 sons and each with their own blessing to ask questions about, I can only imagine the reactions and conversation that followed. Why is that not in the Bible? Why am I a wolf? Why am I a lion? Why am I a snake? I would have certainly Why questioned. Why are you a donkey of a man? Raw bone donkey. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> when we open it today, Jacob has just died and it is Joseph who will take the lead. Chapter 50, Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physician embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries in Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. Joseph loves and honors Jacob. Jacob has been living in Goshen now for 17 years years. This means that Joseph has served Pharaoh for another 17 years. So it is understandable that the relationship between Pharaoh and Joseph would be so strong that Pharaoh would want to honor Joseph by honoring Joseph's father. The mourning period was 70 days and the detail that follows makes this burial the grandest in the entire Bible. But then we would expect nothing less than excellence from Joseph, the man in charge of the burial. He did everything well. It is estimated that the entourage would have been well into the hundreds with servants, military for protection, Egyptian officials, most of Jacob's large extended family, and wagons full of provisions. Jacob and Joseph are the only two in the Bible that were mummified so that their remains could be carried out of Egypt because that was the wish of both of them, that they would live out, their remains would live out, buried in the promised land that they believe so strongly in. Creepy. <laughs> I know, but sweet. Verse 10. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly, and there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, The Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why the place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizrim. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Meshkalaf near Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a barrier place from Ephraim the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the brothers who had gone with him to bury his father. 
When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of our father, your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Okay, this whole section is so sweet. Joseph, it's really about Joseph reassuring his dramatic brothers. And they are dramatic. The brothers are like a bunch of old ladies who get together and just talk too much and imagine the the worst in every situation. Their awareness of their sin against Joseph is feeding fear. And they still cannot understand Joseph's complete forgiveness because I don't think they would have forgiven themselves. The drama of offering to be slaves distresses Joseph. That's a lot of drama. They still cannot understand Joseph's complete forgiveness because perhaps in their society, you know, you had to pay for that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know, but they, the drama of offering to be slaves really deeply distresses Joseph. And this is kind of cool. This is the fourth and final time that Joseph weeps. And it it says he weeps. He wept in chapter 43 at the sight of his brother, Benjamin, for the first time in how many years? And he wept in chapter 46 when he was reunited with his father, Jacob. He wept above when his father died. We just read that one. And he wept when he realized his brothers still feared him. And I wonder if he knew that it was all a big old lie because the dad didn't tell well, them Well, we don't know whether Jacob really said that or not. We, it, it never said that Jacob said that, but he could have said that. I don't know. Again, they could have been fabricating it just to get pity out of him because he did weep for his father. The, the point about Joseph's weeping to me is Joseph loved deeply and he loved well. Every time he wept, it was out of love for others. And we have to remember, for, this is for us today. Relationships are the hallmark of our faith. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? His answer was this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We must love God and love others. And we have to prioritize relationship. Joseph innately knew this. That is why he is compared to Christ. That is why he was revered as a leader. He cared about people and he wept over them. Joseph approached his relationships with transparency and trust compared to Jacob, who approached his relationships with manipulation and control. Episode 27 was called Jacob Wrestles with Relationship. Jacob had to learn to love well. And with four wives, 12 sons, and we don't know how many daughters, it was not easy, but he never gave up. And in the end, And Jacob, too, became a great, beloved leader. The point is, God can use anyone if they are willing to learn through their journey. Because no matter what our weaknesses or strengths,
strength, our struggles or suffering, what the enemy intends for harm, God can use for good to accomplish the saving of many lives. And there you have it in the very last chapter of Genesis, my favorite verse. It was you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You may struggle with your own sin like Jacob, or you may suffer because of the sin of others like Joseph, but nothing can stop you from loving and leading well if you persevere in faith. That is so profound. And it's something that I really believe in. You can't control what happens to you. You can't control other people, but you can control your reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And Joseph is the best example of that. And Jacob too, because even though he struggled with relationships, he didn't have that gift that Joseph had Mm -hmm. for innately knowing how to love well. He wanted to please God and he wrestled with it, even though he had four wives and all those boys and he learned to love well and he is honored in the end. And that funeral shows that he was revered and he did what God wanted and he set this nation up. And it was through his sons that that God was going to fulfill this prophecy. All right. Well, now let's move on, sadly, to the death of Joseph. In verse 22, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you out of this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And so we come to the end of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the world, and by the end, God had created a nation. Moving forward, that nation, Israel, will be our focus. Our next Bible book club will pick up 400 years after the death of Joseph with Exodus. But before we move on, I really, really want you to celebrate this. In episode one, the overview of Genesis, we read the creation story in Genesis one, and we learned that God was present and the spirit was present. Then God spoke creation into existence. He didn't breathe it or think it. He spoke it. But Jesus was present too. According to John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and the life was the light of all mankind. The word was Jesus Christ. He too was there in the beginning. And for the last 37 episodes, you have been reading the word. In fact, here are a few facts about what you have learned about the word in just this one book. You have listened to Heather read 32,046 words from the Bible. You have covered roughly 2,200 years of history from creation to the death of Joseph. You have studied 50 chapters and put in 23 hours of time listening and understanding the word. You have heard every name of the first 23 generations in the line of Christ and a lot of names and generations not in the line of Christ. You have learned the life lessons of Adam, Noah, all three patriarchs, 
patriarchs and the 12 sons of Jacob. You have learned two of the five covenants in the Bible, the Noahic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. You are now very familiar with the geography of early biblical times from Mesopotamia to Egypt with Canaan in between. And you have learned the consequences of choices as you have journeyed down the path to good and evil with at least a half a dozen Bible characters. You've been through exile, murder, famine, war, destruction, a flood, deceit, rage, and revenge. But you've also witnessed God's plan, provision, protection, mercy, grace, and love for his people. All of that from studying just one book of the word. That feels so accomplished. (laughs) It just feels like we have gotten somewhere. Like, I don't even know how to explain the feeling of accomplishment of having finished this one book. And and I've personally, I know you have too, Susan, read the whole entire Bible and this book specifically multiple times, but I just understand it in such a more intimate way now that it just feels really, I feel really intelligent. We are so excited for you. You have been faithful if you've listened to all these episodes. You have completed an entire book of both the Bible and the Torah in depth. Or the Tanuk, as you Yeah, exactly. And you have learned that Genesis is the story of how God lovingly created a perfect world. He created us in his own image and put us in charge of ruling the world. We rebelled and the world became destructive. God responded by revealing his plan to rescue and bless the world through the family of Abraham. There's a beautiful summary in Psalm 105 of where we have been in the story of Genesis and where we are going in Exodus. It was written by King David. The first 15 verses of it were used in a hymn at the carrying of the ark in 1 Chronicles 16. Listen as the story we just learned in Genesis transitions to the story of where we are about to begin in Exodus. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake, he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. He called down the famine in the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. 
They bruised his feet with shackles, his neck was put in irons, till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob resided as a foreigner in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them too numerous for their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people, to conspire against his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them, his wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. For had they not rebelled against his words, he turned their waters into blood, causing their fish to die. Their land teemed with frogs, which went up into the bedrooms of their rulers. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He turned their rain to hail with lightning throughout their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, grasshoppers without number. They ate up every green thing in their land, ate up the produce of their soil. Then he struck down all the firstborn of their land, the first fruits of their manhood. He brought out Israel laden with silver and gold, and from among their tribes, no one faltered. Egypt was glad when they left because dread of Israel had fallen on them. He spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light at night. They asked, and he brought them quail. He fed them well with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed like a river in the desert. For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations and they fell heir to what others had toiled for that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. We are so thankful that you joined us for the book of Genesis. And we can't wait to see you in Exodus. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.